I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. You're deaf to it, blind to it, it's like a thunderclap. Feel the prickles running up and down your back. Why so divine the pain of love? You have to work for it, stay with it, pay for it, bust your ass, lie for it, cheat for it, forget about your past. Why so divine the pain of love? You dream of it, passionate, you get a rise from it. Feel the hot calm dripping your thighs from it. Why, why so divine the pain of love? Sometimes you crave for it, cry for it. Women will die for it. Looking back, cut the crap. Was it really worth the rap? It's hard to survive the pain of love. Ooh, I need time out. Time to make my mind up. Substitute a line out. I'll be back next season with a bang. No release from jail, no parole, no bail. Hard labor, 50 lashes. Hard labor, money splashes. It's hard to survive the pain of love. That is the music of Bernard Fowler, who is my guest today on the program. Let me tell you a little bit about Bernard Fowler. There are no facts, Nietzsche once wrote, only interpretations. Well, who am I to argue with Nietzsche? But in this case, I'm going to just a little bit. Because there are some facts, like, you know, Rolling Stones songs. The legendary band's songbook feels so familiar, so well-worn, so evergreen, that the songs themselves don't even seem like songs anymore. They're more like permanent set pieces that feel like they've been with us forever. But of course, they haven't. And of course, songs aren't facts. They're art, and art is meant to be interpreted. And in the case of Bernard Fowler's new album, Inside Out, he does just that with the Stones. The New York-born singer has been a member and collaborator with the band for the last 31 years, so he knows what he's doing. But more than that, Fowler is one of the most gifted singers on the planet, so he really knows what he's doing. Before joining the Rolling Stones, Fowler had been in the Peach Boys and Tackhead, and he appeared on albums by Herbie Hancock, Yoko Ono, Public Image, and Duran Duran. He worked with Mick Jagger on his 1985 album, She's the Boss, and the two became fast friends. Fowler joined the Rolling Stones fold for the Steel Wheels tour in 89, and he's been with them ever since. Not only that, but he's played on solo albums by Charlie Watts, Keith Richards, and Ron Wood. So, what is Inside Out? Well, Fowler's third solo album is a masterful reworking of the songs of the Rolling Stones. Set to inventive, percussive arrangements and delivered in a remarkable spoken word format that's in keeping with the spirit of Gil Scott Heron and the Last Poets, Inside Out is a series of riveting reinterpretations. From Sympathy to the Devil to Sister Morphine, this is truly one of the most arresting, innovative, and deeply moving collections you'll hear all year. And at the end of the interview, Bernard and I both agree he should be nominated for a Grammy. And he really should. This is powerful work. 
Bernard Fowler called me from a hotel room in L.A. It was 400 degrees here in San Francisco. And the summer sizzle soaked Skype in coats of whatever makes the signal weak. But stay with this one. It's a really great chat with some really cool, unexpected turns. Okay? All right. Let's bring you some Bernard. Here's me and Mr. Fowler breaking it down right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. throughout my life about who the greatest lyricists were and you know I always threw in Dylan and Cohen and Simon and Sam Cooke and whoever I never I never put Jagger in there and now I feel stupid (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to I I wasn't trying to make anybody feel stupid I was just trying to bring some some light to you know to what they've done over the years they've done some really amazing stuff they have. And why do you think it is that, that Jagger gets overlooked? Because, I mean, at least in those stupid conversations. But, I mean, the guy is remarkable as a poet. I think the uh, Jagger Richards writing team is, you know, one of those teams that have been overlooked. And um, who knows? You know, I, I, I say I've been telling people, you know, I think people get lost in the uh, – they get lost in the music. They get lost in the music and, you know, they they hear, they hear the lyrics, but they don't really hear it. I think they're busy dancing and singing the chorus without going into the meat of the song. Mm. Yeah. And and those, you know, those songs are so well-worn that sometimes the poetry of it, you, you just overlook it, I guess. I think that's been the case. But how has age made you reinterpret or maybe understand these songs on a totally different way than maybe you did when you know you were 25? Well, age makes you pay more attention to things. It's as simple as that. I think the older you get, the more attention you pay to things. When you're young, you're in a rush. You're not patient. You don't take your time. But I think with age, you, you tend to look at things uh, a little deeper. Yeah, I also think that when you're younger, you're just thinking about girls. You know, you're just, you're not, you're not. Yeah, that too. Thinking about pussy and, pussy and getting high. Right. right, and the order doesn't matter. Yeah, 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 the order doesn't matter. And I think you get older and you, and you're, uh, you know, you get more focused. I think you're right. And I think that focus is the wisdom of, the root of the wisdom of age. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my entry point into you uh, was through Tackhead. When I was a when I was a college DJ, I, I I got into your music through Tackhead. That was my entry point into into what you do. Wow, that's not a bad entry point. No, man, <laughs> I love the Tackhead record so much. Um, and uh, at, at any rate, I just uh, those records meant a lot to me back in like '88 or so. And I, I, it's fun to get a chance to tell you how much I love them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we left out cars also. Oh yeah, cars. Getting high, <laughs> getting high pussy in cars. <laughs> and you know, Bernard, if you could do it all in in the car, that made it better. 
<laughs> yeah, if you could if you could uh, focus enough to buy a car. That's right. <laughs> um, I I love this record because the specific choices that you made are very unexpected and very surprising and and incredibly satisfying. Um the the vision, can you tell me about the the vision of the record, how long were you carrying the idea for this around and how much did it change when you finally sat down to do it? How much of it actually transformed? Mm, I carried the idea around for a while. I carried the idea around, you know, uh, since my last record, the Bura. And, uh, uh, how it changed. Well, you know, the, the initial idea, was uh, that it would be just percussion, you know, percussion meaning hand drums and and voice. That's that's what that's what the original idea was. Just you know, just uh, percussion and voice, drums and voice. And and once I once I started doing it, you know, the production started to grow. I started to hear other things. And those are the things I added without losing, the, you know, without losing the focus, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, percussion being the focus, you know, it's a, it's a percussion and drum driven record. I was talking to Carol King's daughter about a year or two ago, and she was telling me how lyrics are percussion or a form of percussion. And I think I really finally understood what she meant after listening to your record, I, I, I sort of, I get it now. When uh, I was uh, choosing songs for the record, uh, you know, I would read, I would read them and they had to have a, a certain type of flow. It had to have a certain type of flow. And uh, uh, after what you just said, yes, the flow, it is a percussive type of flow. You know, it's a rhythm. It's a rhythm that I was looking for in, in, in reading the lyrics that I chose. And uh, if, it, if, if it had that flow or that rhythm and it had a strong subject matter and could, you know, relate to how we live now, I, I used it. Because the through line on all these songs is there is a sort of element of social justice and, you know, awareness um, so that was mm -hmm. no that was no accident. No, that was no accident. I was telling you Dylan and Cohen, and if you read their lyrics, you know it's them. And I think with Jagger, I haven't read his lyrics enough to know if that's the case. But I, I also wonder if maybe that's his great strength is that he's sort of like a shapeshifter lyrically. He can almost do anything. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, you know, being a being a shapeshifter in music is a very important thing. You know, it allows you to go, you know, many different places instead of, you know, just a one, just being one-sided, you know. And uh, Jagger is definitely that. Yeah, I read an essay about him saying that that guy, you could put him into any situation. There was a, a situation where he was with these southern bikers from Alabama and they, and they completely like the the author said at the end of it Jagger had almost had a little bit of a drawl and they loved him and they were saying that you could put Jagger in any situation and and he just blends in. 
There it is. There's that shape shifter again. Yeah. I can't think of many other people in music who actually are as seamless as him. Mm, I've never thought about it. In terms of, sonically, even though we were talking about it's a very percussive and drum uh, and bass sort of driven record, um, when you were fleshing out the sound and expanding on it, where did those uh, innovations come from? And how did you know to sort of, sort of trust them? Because it's such a singular, you know, interesting idea. Well, I always say, if it feels good, you're doing the right thing. And when I was recording it, you know, and going through the stuff and reading the stuff, and it, and it felt good. It had a certain type of feeling. And, you know, if I feel that, I, I, I feel I'm on the mark, and I go with that. So if an idea do you feel isn't really working, you just will feel the exact opposite. Exactly. If it's not feeling good to me, it's, it's, it's wrong. If it doesn't feel good, it's wrong. Even, you know, when you're, when you're performing, you know, it doesn't matter. Mistakes don't matter. It's the way it all feels. Mistakes can be a beautiful thing. And mistakes sometimes feel really good. Right. Right. And do you, do you think that, you know, that you're better at, at sort of honoring those impulses and reading those impulses than, than you were in the early days? Or was it always like that? Uh, I think it was always like that, but I think I've gotten better at it. Oh. Were you, um, were you excited to, to sort of share the record with, with Mick and, and the guys in the Stones? Like, how aware of what you were doing were they? They weren't that aware. They weren't aware of it. They weren't aware of it until I, you know, actually did it at, at a sound check one day. You know, I had already decided that I would I was going to do it and I just let it out at a sound check one day as I was you know, getting ready for a sound check. I you know, I started reciting some song and playing and they all kind of looked at me and wide eyed and were like, Damn, what is that? <laughs> and everybody and you know, they all seemed to smile, they got a kick out of it and you know, and uh, I did say, I did tell Mick, you know, he said, you know, he said to me, you know, I've heard it, I've heard Stone songs a lot of ways, but never, never anything like this. And and I told him I was going to cut it when uh, the tour was over. And he liked the idea because, again, he'd never heard anything like it before either. I think he was surprised. Yeah. Were you a little bit nervous about to, to see what he thought of it? No. No, because if I let if I uh, if I do that, then it gets in the way of my creativity. I'm mm. fearless when I'm being creative. I'm fearless. Uh, you know, uh, I prefer it not to be judged till it's done. Um. And it was nowhere done. It was, you know, I was still formulating it in my head when I shared the idea with them. But, you know, I was going to do this, you know, whether he gave me the green light or not. You know, I was happy to get the green light. Right. <laughs> I was happy to get it. But, yeah, 
I was gonna do it, and you know, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm fearless. I don't, I don't, I don't let you know. I try not to let people's, you know, people's thoughts or ideas influence what I'm trying to do, especially you know when it's early in the early in a project. It's you know, I'd rather, rather than you know, let me get to work on it and then, you know. Tell me what you think about it. Are you more fearless in your art than you are in your civilian life? Do you, do you or do you find that it, that you're as fearless in your regular life as well? I would probably say I'm more fearless in my art than I am in my <laughs> civilian life. You know, things that you do in you know things that you do in your civilian life can you know affect people. You know, and uh, you know, and when you're when you're, you know, when you when you're, you know, making art, you know, that affects no one but you. You know, at that time in the you know in the creative process, but yeah, when you're in real life, yeah, those things can affect people, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Sometimes, you know, you don't like. I don't like hurting people. So, right. Well, this is the reason why I always liked individual sports over team sports because I didn't I didn't want to mess anybody else up. Right. Well, you know, um, <laughs> I understand. I understand that, but you know, you know, there are lessons to be learned. You know. In playing team sports, you know, I'm a, I'm a team player. I love, you know, I love, you know, collaborating with people. I love a team. I love a team. I don't, I don't like to work alone that much. Uh, and I think Inside Out is the first time I actually did. I worked alone. You know, as far as production goes, I, I did it all myself. I didn't have anybody sitting in a chair next to me or you know, feeding me ideas. I, it was, you know, it was me in that driver's seat. And did you like that autonomy? I did. I did. I had to probably, I, 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 I'm saying I, I liked it because, you know, the outcome was so good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if it was somebody else there with me, I <laughs> I put the blame I could put some blame on them. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for many long, long years, stole many a man's soul and faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. Made damn sure that Pilate washed his hands and sealed his fate. Pleased to meet you. I hope you guess my name. But what's puzzling you is just the nature of my game. I stuck around St. Petersburg when I saw 
that it was time for a change. Killed the Tsar and his ministers while Anastasia screamed in vain. I rode a tank and held the general's rank when the Blitzkrieg raged and the bodies stank. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. What's puzzling you is the nature of my game. I watched with glee while your kings and queens fought for ten decades for the gods they made. I shouted out, who killed the Kennedys? When after all, it was you, you and me. Let me please introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. And I laid traps for troubadours who get killed before they reached Bombay. Pleased to meet you. Have you guessed my name? But what's puzzling you is the nature of my game.
you did assemble a pretty good team uh, in terms of musicians, and you know you built you built quite a squad. Yeah, I did. Uh, I was lucky. I, that you know that was divine intervention. You know, um, you know whenever I'm doing a project, I think about who I'm going to use. I always do when I'm you know making my own uh, solo projects and. Everybody that I thought of uh, or I thought about using for this project, for some strange reason, they were all available to come and do it. And everyone I called, no one said no. They all said yes, when and where. And they showed up and they didn't rush and, you know, you know they gave me their time. They gave me their time, and this is the end result. Well, you must have thought, well, this this is meant to be. Everyone, everyone, the gates were just opening one after the other. Mm-hmm. One after another, and you know, also when uh, you know, they didn't know what they didn't know what I was doing until they showed up, and and when they when I told them that told them what I was doing, <laughs> they. Everybody looked at me kind of sideways and, you know, usually the first comment was, are you serious? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm dead serious. And then, it, you know, after the question came the smiles and then, you know, somebody even said, damn, Bernard, only you would think of doing <laughs> shit like this. Well... <laughs> It's it's a very singular project. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you as a part of the Stones. I mean, you are part of a of a team, um, and you've been with those guys for so long. Um, what have you What have you learned about being a part of that? And you know, just to reverse engineer it, would that knowledge have been great to have had at twenty, or do you like the way things have unfolded? Um. Well, I do like the way things unfolded, but I think uh, uh, what I've probably learned, it's more like, a, um, it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was more like, um, uh, shit, I can't think of the word. Um, it was more like a stamp of approval that the way that I think about about doing stuff was the right way of doing it. You know, something that I that I learned from the Stones, and I've watched them. I've watched them, you know, write songs, and you know, and play that song different ways. You know, a lot of time, a lot of the songs that you hear, they've recorded a a, a, a slower version, a faster version, a mid-tempo version. You know, but. I don't have that luxury. You can do those kind of things when you have a budget to sit in a room and just throw things or, or you know, throw things against the wall. I, this particular project, there was no budget, so I had to be thinking on my feet. I had to be thinking quick. Right. I had to make decisions, you know, fast. And And again, it's all about what it felt like. If it felt right, I knew I was where I needed to be. So again, it's it's trusting the instincts. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes, not and you know, sometimes you know the instincts can be wrong. 
you know, um, every every thought that I had, you know, wasn't the correct one. There were things that I had to rethink, you know, rethink, well, that's not feeling so good. Let me try it this way, you know. Yeah, I like the idea of of trusting trusting the the knowledge that the instinct that you have is not the right one and to go and to pivot and go the other way. That's right. Tell me about musicians like, you know, like consummate pros you're around is just it's intimidating to think about. Um but tell me about guys like Steve Jordan. Well, you already said it. Consummate <laughs> Consummate pros. They are all consummate pros. Everybody on that record. Everybody on that record. And, you know, uh, even the small, you know, you know, the small things were very, very important. You know, for instance, uh, you know, Josh Egan, you know, he came and he came and he just played, you know, uh, he played a huge, a huge, uh, you know, marching band drum. He played it, you know, he played it on one of every bar. And without it, that particular song would not feel the way that it does. You know, same thing, you know, as I was mixing, I heard something and I needed a guitar part, a very simple part, and... Just by chance, a friend of mine, Jimmy Rip, happened to stop by the studio to say hello. And I was like, you know what? It's a good thing you're here. I need you. <laughs> Went and found him a guitar, gave him a guitar. I said, I need one track. And he played the one track. But without it, it wouldn't feel as good as it does. What about Ray Parker? Ray Parker, he's a master. Ray Parker's a master. I was lucky. I was lucky to get him, um, and you know it all fell into place. I met Ray. I met Ray Parker through, uh, through Steve Jordan. You know we do uh, we do uh, you know gigs in New York for the Jazz Foundation, which is where I met. I think that's where I met Ray first. I think, and and uh, we also are part of. You know we've been part of the the Emmy Awards orchestra or Emmy Awards band. And so, you know, we became really friendly. So when it was time, you know, when I needed, you know, a certain feel from a guitar, he was the first person I thought about. And I called him and said, hey, Ray, I want this type of thing that I do. I'm doing this. And he was, he was, he got a kick out of me, out of, uh, knowing that it was, you know, a Rolling Stone type, type of thing because his, you know, part of his history, I think he played, he played with Keith and Ronnie years, years ago when he was really young, so he was excited about doing it. But, you know, I explained to him what I needed, and, you know, this is how pro he is. He said, you know what, Bernard? He said, there might be somebody better for this. He said, you might want to get Wawa Watson to do it. And I thought about it, but Ray's got something else. Ray, Ray's got that Wawa vibe, and he's got some, you know, he's got other stuff in his arsenal. And I wanted a taste of that other stuff, too. So, Well, 
Ray is Ray, a Ray was the man. He's a really smooth player, isn't he? Ray Ray's the he's Ray's Ray can be any kind of player you want him to be. Like you we were talking about, you know, um you know, being a chameleon, most of these guys, most of the guys on the record could all be, you know, all have that in them. I wanted to ask you, because I, I haven't heard you mention it, and I've been really kind of curious. Um, what, what was it like to work with Public Image? I know I know, I'm going back a bunch of years, but I was curious to know what your take was on, on Johnny Lydon. That was the best... Uh... One of the best musical experiences of my life was uh, being part of that record and hanging out with John. It was just John. It wasn't the rest of the band. The records, that record's produced by Bill Laswell. Right. So Bill, Bill Laswell put that, put that together. He put all those players together. I don't think John had a lot to do with it. I think John... If I'm not mistaken, John might have said something to Bill about Ginger Baker. Oh. And, and uh, no one had seen or spoke to Ginger Baker for uh, several years at that point. So Bill got on a plane, flew to Italy, looked around, and found Ginger Baker in, <laughs> in a house with a horse standing in the living room. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> And, then, and that's true. He was in a house with a horse in his living room. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and uh, I don't know how he did it or what he said to Ginger, but he brought Ginger back. He brought Ginger back to New York to play on that record. And I, you know, and for that project, you know, I was asked by Bill to be John's vocal coach. Oh, I was to be John's vocal coach, and John and I spent a lot of time together. And you know, you know, it was uh, it wasn't my job to try to change John. You know, I realized that when I when I got there. You know, John is John. John has a sound. It was just my job to just help him enforce that sound, make that song, you know, make that sound stronger. You know, give him tips on, you know, phrasing, give him tips on breathing and things like that. And we hit it off right away. We'd go for walks, you know, midtown Manhattan and John would be John and wind people up and 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 laugh about it and you know, we had a good time. We had a good time making that record. So he was a nice guy. And to me he was. Some of the people in some of the people in Midtown thought he was a complete asshole, but I would just look at him and he'd look at me as if to say, "Watch this," and he'd just go and you know say something small or and just wind people up and they'd look at him with raised eyebrows and he'd look at me and he'd laugh about it. Had you ever seen anything like that before? No. No. John is full on all the time. He's that way all the time. Did you uh, stay in touch with him? Except for when we were working. When we were working, he was, you know, he was there. He was present and very serious. Very professional, I would say. Yeah. And a very interesting singer. Oh, yes. Like I said, John, John is John. He's got his own thing. 
He's got his own thing, and it works, and he knows how to place that thing in what he's doing. Did you maintain a friendship with him, or you lost touch? No, I, I, I've not seen him in quite some time. Uh, last time I saw him, I ran into him. Uh, uh, I think I ran into him near Venice Beach. Venice Beach, it was quite some time ago, and we stopped and we talked, but no, we don't, you know, it's not like we talk every every week or every year even, you know. Right. I saw, I, oh, I went and saw him play at New York, and and I uh, watched the gig and went backstage, and we talked for a little while, so yeah, I mean, we remained friendly. How about the, the guys from Duran Duran? How was that experience? Um, that was a... That was a pretty interesting experience. Uh, you know, Simon asked me to come to, well, he called me to the studio and played some tracks and said he needed some, he needed some vocal ideas. And, you know, I asked Chris Kinsey to roll the tape and I just started, you know, putting out some ideas and they'd say what they liked and what they didn't like. You know, it was a total work, work, you know, work experience. You know, we didn't do any hanging out. We were just working. I told somebody last night that I said, your record, your new record reminds me of the way Sinatra used to take a composition and just understand it and bring new life to it and new, a new angle to it. And you've done such a beautiful job. This is one of my favorite albums of the year. I, I love what you've done. Oh man, what a, that's a hell of a compliment, man. Wow. Wow. Thank you for that. That's, that's, that's out of sight, man. Well, wow. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate this album very, very much, and I'm, I'm uh, hearty congratulations to you on, on a really a momentous piece of work. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, when you get a chance, when you get a chance, you should listen to my last record as well. If you've not heard it, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. You might even be blown away. All right. You know, Albert Lee. Oh. Albert Lee and Fode Muso Suso playing together. You know, Slash is playing the blues. I I, I think uh, you missed the good one. I did. I I to- I, I absolutely missed it. Yeah, and I, now I have to go back and get it. And I'm, and like I said, I was a huge Tackhead guy, so I I had lost track of you. And I'm I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I am, I'm going to go buy it after I talk to you. <laughs> Right on, man. Yeah, you will dig the Bora. And you know, did you know that uh, we did a Tackhead record not long ago? About three years ago, four years ago, we did a Tackhead record. I didn't know that either. This is, it's so hard to know about what's coming out these days with music. I, and I didn't, and how'd that come out? It's a, you know, it's a Tackhead record. It's, it's, it's pretty much a, a Tackhead cover record. We did a lot of you know, our favorite, you know, old songs. And, and uh, Adrian Sherwood is mixing some of them as well. So, you know, we, we got the band back together just to do a quick project. And do you think that you'll do that again someday or to who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I used to... Who knows? Well, I used to do... I would play Tackhead in between Disposable Heroes of the Hypocrisy and De La Soul on my radio show in college. That was my, that was my go-to. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. 
Yeah. Which which Cathead record was it? Was it Strange Things or? It was the one with oh. the drawing kind of on the front, like the. It was yeah. I think it was. Let's see. It was '88, right? So what was '88? That was. Uh, friendly, friendly as a hand grenade. Yeah, it was friendly as a hand grenade. That that was my that was my record. Ah ha ha! There you go. I love it. I love Tackhead. Yeah. 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 So do I. Some good stuff. Way ahead of its time. Yes, way ahead of its time, and uh, way ahead of its time. very important uh, uh, albums to me. Um, but I will. I'll dig up the the last solo record because I did miss it. I have to admit, and I wanna I wanna go check it out. I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. Gabura is it's a piece of work. I I love the record. And so, what happens for you next? Are you you're headed back out on the road, or you're are, are playing shows? Well, you know, I plan to do some shows to support Inside Out, and I've got to uh, I've got to do I've got to do a, a follow up record to the Bora. And now that you know this spoken word has been so well received i've got to do another one of them and i do have a you know i have a few tracks that i cut that i that i didn't put on it so i'll probably use those and i'm planning to go to uruguay to record some uh, percussion players there uh for tracks for the next inside out yeah so i don't know maybe it'll be called outside in you know? <laughs> Well, it's no surprise you'll remain a busy guy. Yeah, yeah, I try to. I really do. Uh, Bernard, an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I've been a fan for a very long time of your work, and I I really love this album, man. Man, thank you so much, man. Maybe I got a Grammy coming this year. You deserve it. <laughs> if <laughs> uh, you deserve it, man. Well, from your lips to God's ears, that would be awesome. Well, let's. Uh, I, I'm I'm gonna cross my fingers for you, and and best of luck. And again, I really do appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, man. No worries. Let's do it again sometime. You got it, pal. All right. Have a good day. You too, buddy. Just in case you were wondering, uh, yeah. I was really sweating at the beginning of that uh, interview. I was, uh, I was definitely uh, the guy with the wet shirt five minutes in. Uh, but then Bernard and I, I thought we hit a groove. I thought, uh, I thought the groove happened. I was searching for it, and I found it. And uh, he's a very sweet guy. I like talking to him. And you're going to like this record. Get it. Trust me. It's cool. It truly is one of my favorites of the year. Uh, so check it out, bernardfowler.com. Uh, that's his website. Uh, Bernard will be on tour with the Rolling Stones all, uh, all fall, I think. Uh, check it out. I don't need to give you their website, do I? You'll find the Rolling Stones online. I'm sure you'll locate them somewhere out there. You'll find them. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter, at Ember's Editor, or on Instagram, Ember's Podcast, or... You can simply email me, uh, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. And the good news is our podcast can now be found, well, basically on any podcast platform. Spotify, Last.fm, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and we are now on iHeartRadio. So that's pretty cool. All right? That's all the businessy stuff I got for you. Oh, one more businessy thing. 
Speaking of all those podcast platforms, why don't you subscribe since you're there and uh, leave the show a rating? It would mean a lot. Okay? All right. Thank you in advance for your, uh, your rating generosity. We appreciate it. Let's close the show with another song from Bernard's Inside Out record. This is Undercover of the Night. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Hear the screams of Center 42 Loud enough to bust your brains out The opposition's tongue is cut in two Keep off the streets cause you're in danger 100,000 despidos lost in the jails in South America Curl up baby Sex the 